0: This podcast contains themes of abuse and trauma. Hey guys, welcome to the 8th episode of the Connected by Stories podcast. I am your host Orwell, and today I've been joined by Inasha as she takes us through her experience with abuse. Thank you so much, Inasha, for joining me on today's podcast.
1: No problem. It's a pleasure.
0: It's great to have you here. Um, so as you already know, today we're just going to be talking about your experience with abuse, Um. so domestic violence, sexual assault, and usually how I like to start, you know, I like to go back to the very beginning and just talk about your childhood. So can you tell me about your childhood and what it was like growing up?
1: Yeah, I actually grew up in a Haitian household. My parents are Haitian. We're Haitian, me and my siblings. Um, So it was very traditional, very strict. Uh, We weren't allowed to do sleepovers. Um, If we visited other people at their homes, we weren't able to ask or accept food or drinks. Um, We had to sit still and quiet when we were out in public, but Overall, it was it was okay because we had each other, as in us, uh, our siblings. I had my brother and my sister, and we, you know, we were able to make something out of nothing with uh, our time together. So it it wasn't all bad, (laughs) but it was definitely very strict.
0: Yeah. And what was the relationship like between your parents?
1: Uh, it was not always the best. Um, from what I remember, there were a lot of arguments, a lot of fights, a lot of accusations, and they almost always were instigated by my mom.
0: And you know, growing up in that environment, what was your relationship with your parents like? With the both of them?
1: Well, I've always loved my parents, both of them, and I still do to this day. Um, My father, I've always gravitated toward my father more so, but um, as a child, he worked a lot to support us and he was very strict. He was the disciplinarian, of course, like most fathers are, especially most Caribbean fathers. And my mom, she disciplined us too, but um, we didn't have a close connection. Um, And not having that close connection or close proximity uh, with someone usually inflates their fear or your fear of that person. So my dad, since he worked so much, he was like super scary to us. He was scarier than he actually was. But as we grew older, my dad, he softened up a bit and we ended up bonding with him. He's like our best friend now and um, he cares about us and he's not afraid to show it and he loves us and he's never afraid to say it. Now, my mom, on the other hand, <laughs> she's a different story. She is toxic by every definition of the word toxic. Um, and she's always been, in retrospect. When I look back at everything that she's said and done to us and to me in particular, it, it's just been unhealthy. Um, and I think maybe we might've spent a a little bit too much time with her toxicity because it started becoming a bit normal. (laughs) Um, she would ask me questions that she wanted me to respond a certain way to like, just to confirm the outlandish thoughts and conclusions that would cross her mind. Yeah. And, um, anything that would feed her delusions or her hate toward her targets, um, and, uh, one one of her consistent targets has always been my dad. For whatever reason, um, I remember her asking me uh, if he had ever touched me anywhere, like encouraging me, quote unquote, to be honest. You know, she would say like, "Oh, you know, it's okay. This is just between me and you. You can tell me. Go ahead." And she would turn into a nice person, <laughs> someone that sounded like she really cared. But you know, as soon as I told her what the truth was and that truth wasn't favorable for her. She would kind of turn on me and get upset with me and tell me that I was like lying or tell me that I was taking sides. Um, I've always accepted my mom though. Uh, I just, you know, no one's perfect and she has her faults, but I've always loved her you know, I've, I've always loved her. Even to this day, I still love her. And, you know, I, I knew her good sides because she did have some good sides. She raised four children and I think, you know, we all turned out pretty good. <laughs> um, So that good covered up the bad. And even though I I knew that I was getting hurt as a result of her unapologetically toxic behavior, I sucked it up and kept on pushing because, you know, that was just, her. Yeah. But but um fast forward like years later I found myself um in a situation um with someone um that was abusive with me and um that led to my daughter being born. Um she's my beautiful miracle. <laughs> um but I left him because he was abusive and I stayed with my parents. Um and one night she she wasn't happy about Uh, a response that I gave her to a question that she asked. Um, My cousin had come over for, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend. And um, I decided not to stay at the house that weekend because he, when we were younger, he touched me inappropriately. And ever since then, you know, since I have a choice now, since I'm older, I've chosen not to be around him when he's around So, um, I finally told her she wasn't happy about it. You know, that's her side of the family. That's her nephew. And, um, she got upset with me. She became violent. She broke a vase, uh, in front of myself and my daughter, uh, threatened to throw a glass bowl at me. And, Mm -hmm. um, she, she kind of solidified things by, um, Telling me that I waited so long to say something because I liked it, and um, wished death on me <laughs> by hands of abuse of, of the next abusive partner. So yeah, she yeah yeah she said that she she hoped that the next the next guy end up with um, beats me to death. So I I don't want my daughter to be in another toxic environment. So uh, that day moving forward. I, I haven't spoken to her.
0: And how long ago was this?
1: It's been a year now. It's, it's like next month. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be a year.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And, um, so you did mention while you were um, talking about that, that, um, you, you know, had a situation with an abusive partner. Um, before we even get to that, has there been just the one abusive partner or has there been, um, others? <laughs>
1: Um, my first boyfriend he he got physical with me, yeah um it definitely not in the with the same severity and frequency as my child's father, but he he did put his hands on me a couple of times
0: How old were you at that point in time?
1: Oh gosh, how old was i um about twenty, yeah. I was twenty, yeah.
0: And was that a long relationship or?
1: Uh, or... gosh, what is considered long nowadays? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good question.
1: Like, is more than six months long? Is a year long? Uh, we were together for, I would say, about a year and a half.
0: Yeah. When you then finally decided to leave that relationship, what was the final straw?
1: Hmm. I think when I finally realized that I was like losing my sanity, I um I ended my relationship with my first boyfriend. Like he was a he lied a lot, and I don't like having to play detective. So uh, it's sad to say, but the abuse is not what made me end that relationship. But as far as the relationship that I had with my child's father, um. I ended it with him once I realized that his pattern of abuse wasn't going to stop. Um, and um I and I knew that because he he abused me before I got pregnant. He abused me when I got pregnant, and he abused me after I had our daughter. Uh, there's an there was a moment where I think she was like a month old and I forgot what the argument was about exactly. He was upset about something. Um, So we had like a dispute and he ended up like pushing me into the closet. Um, And she was there. She was there. She was, we were in the bedroom. She was on the bed and though she was just a month old, I felt terrible. And I think at that point I wanted to cry because here I am Someone definitely old enough to know what's right and what's wrong. Um, Entertaining a situation with someone who doesn't care about my physical well-being, my mental well-being, and clearly also doesn't care about what his child is witnessing. Uh, Someone who didn't care about creating a healthy environment for his child someone who wanted to create change, like real change, so that his daughter, who's a female, uh, had the chance to witness a man and a woman being in a very healthy relationship. He didn't care about that. So I I, I figured, okay, you know what, this, this is not going to work. And um, not too long afterward, I packed my stuff, and um, I left.
0: Yeah, Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let's talk about your child's father. So let's um, rewind to, I guess, the start of that. Um, mm-hmm. With him, how did you meet him, and what were things like in the beginning of the relationship?
1: So we met at work. Uh, we used to work together, but a few years later is when we actually started hanging out. We met at a company picnic. I didn't know he was going to be there. He didn't know I was going to be there, and... Um, we had a few chats and we had a few drinks. We exchanged numbers and then we continued talking and hanging out. (laughs) And, um, in the beginning, everything was obviously okay. Everything was fine. He, he seemed nice. He seemed very attentive and, um, he wanted to hang out a lot. Um, and that was new for me. I, I don't really date that much. So uh, that was definitely new for me. And he texts constantly throughout the day. And that was also something that I wasn't used to.
0: And so when did things then start to change? Like what were the first signs that things were, you know, begin to, beginning to go down the abusive route?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because at the time I didn't see them as signs. I thought that they were just, you know, regular Things uh, that I thought that they they were just part of him. So I didn't think that they were like bad until, you know, someone asked you that question and you look back and you realize, oh, you know what? I think that's when things started. Like he would make small, like jokes about me uh, in front of my friends and my sisters or around his friends. Um, He would call his ex crazy every time he spoke about her, every time she was brought up. You know, it was always her fault, never his. And um, sometimes when I visited him, I noticed that things were in a bit of disarray. Like um, one time I I remember visiting him at his apartment and um, the blinds had been like pulled down and they were just crumpled and just in a mess on the floor. And at the doorway, there were drops of blood. So, And he gave, like, no explanation. He seemed chill, like everything was just... It was just like a normal, regular day for him. And, you know, when I asked him about it, he said that, you know, the trash bag was leaking. Like, that that was his response. When clearly it wasn't a trash bag that had been leaking.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us about the first time that he... Like you could say, yes, this was abuse? <sighs>
1: that, that, that is a good question. And I say that because, like, you know, there are different forms of abuse. There's verbal yep. abuse, like psychological abuse, financial abuse, physical abuse. And I feel as if he tapped into each of those categories. And I, I didn't realize back then that he was being abusive until like way like later on down the line. But let me try to think of one of the earlier incidents. Oh gosh. I remember one instance where we went to a company party and um, he, Had he, I, you know, I was friends with everyone there because I'd been working there for like 10 years. And, um, one guy in particular was a friend of his. And so, you know, we had a mutual friend in common. So it shouldn't have been an issue for me to talk to him. But, especially since I had known him longer than I'd known my child's father. But, um, he saw that I guess I was talking to him a little too much. And he wasn't happy about that. And his whole demeanor changed. What was supposed to be a fun night wasn't fun anymore. And it became super uncomfortable. And our mutual friend actually ended up leaving a little earlier, because, you know, it was pretty obvious that, My child's father was upset, Um, so he ended up leaving, and I tried to leave as well. And as soon as I started heading toward the door, he he said in a firm voice, "Like, where the f do you think you're going?" And I was, I said, "You know, I'm just, I'm just gonna leave. Oh, so you can go and f him in the car or something to that extent." And in order for him to feel at ease. I'm throwing up ear quotes and I have to tell you this because you can't see. But in order to make him feel at ease, I I ended up staying because I didn't want him to think that he actually was like right in thinking that I was gonna go out and screw some some guy. So um he he poured his drink on me. Um he pulled me into the house, and um, he ended up tearing up some of my clothes. Um, and uh, that's what that's what I remember, and a lot of verbal put downs. Yeah, I remember him cutting me down with his words a lot as well.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You also mentioned um, while you were you know talking that he touched on different, you know, the different types of abuse. And yeah. one of the ones that you did mention was financial. And that's something that a lot of people do not, you know, usually talk about or, yeah. you know, some people are not even familiar with it. Can you, you know, just talk to us about that and tell us, like, what are some examples of things that he did?
1: Uh, well, he would ask to borrow some money. You know, that's, you know, that seems pretty easy, especially for someone who may be their finances Um, he would ask to borrow money. Um, he would drop hints that he didn't have any groceries or that he was hungry and, you know, there was nothing in his fridge. So, you know, me being the kind person that I am, I would go out and buy him groceries, buy him cleaning supplies. And that eventually turned into me, paying his rent because he had no man- money to pay for it, even though, you know, he was working at the time, but it, he didn't disclose his finances outside of, I don't have enough to, you know, yada, 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 fill in the blank. So, um, there was the one time when, I, he kind of dropped another hint that he needed his rent to be paid and that he didn't have any money and, um, he needed some help, but he wasn't directly asking me for help because he doesn't, he didn't want to be the one that, you know, put his hand out. Um, he didn't want to be the one responsible for me helping him. He wanted me to make that choice to help him so that he could say, well, I never asked you to pay my rent. You chose to pay your rent. So um one one time he 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 dropped that hint and I was not able to do that because, you know, I had my own expenses to pay for and his rent was pretty pretty up there. Um And when I let him know that I might not be able to help him that month, he got upset with me. He called me on the phone, very upset, very agitated, raising his voice at me, yelling at me, um, and kind of shifting guilt onto me for not being able to help him. So, of course, it made me feel guilty. And, of course, I uh, did what I had to do to get his rent paid. And that's what I did.
0: Yep. No, that's great. Because, yeah, like I said, a lot of times you see that people don't usually touch on that financial aspect of abuse. Some people right. don't even consider it to be, you know, abuse. They don't realize that it is a type of abuse. So oh, yeah. Usually, they're usually more focused on the physical, the emotional right. side of things. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And then it, there also have been times when he forcefully took my credit cards, just took my purse, unzipped it. Took out the credit card and just took it. And he said, You know, I'll be back. Like, what are you going to do? Take it from me? I'll be back. I'll go buy some cigarettes and some gas. You know, he would just take my money. And I had, I felt I had no power to say, No, give me back my card. No, give me back my money. Um, He would withdraw money from my bank account without me knowing. And, you know, I check my bank statements from time to time. I'm not great at it, but I would check it from time to time. And I would notice that there would be money missing. And then he would give me some afterthought type of excuse like, oh, you know, I had to buy a pack of cigarettes or I had to put gas in my car. And he he abused drugs. So I knew exactly where the money was going. Uh, so But if I had tried to um, confront him with that, it would Turn into something ugly. And I didn't want to be caught in that physical abuse because, you know, I didn't want to get hurt. So I would just, you know, lay low and keep quiet and just let him do his thing and hope in hopes that he would not do it again like he would say that he would not do.
0: And you mentioned, you know, you didn't want to get caught in that um, physical abuse. Was with him, Mm -hmm. was he ever physical?
1: Yes, definitely definitely physical. He I I think he was more physical and verbally ab- abusive, physically and verbally, yeah. Um because yeah, he has like the gift of gab. He's able to talk like a a, a whole a, a whole crowd and he he has the power to like get them to believe whatever it is that he's saying. Um, And I think that has something to do with the way that he was able to also get me to believe the things that he was saying about me when he would get upset with me. So that verbal and physical were his top, top abusive categories.
0: Thanks for sharing. And while this was going on, um, did you speak to anybody about it? Did you have anyone around you that you could confide in? What was the support like?
1: Um. Well, see, I'm a private person, so I keep a lot of things to my sp- myself, especially when dealing with personal matters like this, like relationships. So if I ever spoke about anything that could be interpreted as a red flag, I would alter the way that I would present it so it wouldn't come across as bad. And I, I also think that it has to do with feeling as if you have failed. I didn't want to feel like a failure. I didn't want this relationship that I had invested so much of my time into to be a failure. So I, I didn't want to communicate anything that was going on that was bad mm. so so that my friends wouldn't look at me like, hey, what are you doing? You know that he's using you. You know that he's hurting you. You know, he doesn't love you. Right. I wasn't ready to receive that reality. I wasn't ready to receive that truth. So I kept a lot of things to myself, but at some point it got, it got to a point where I was unable to be masked. You know, when you're walking into your parents' home or your best friend's home and you have, bruises on you that you can't really explain like they're they're gonna start asking questions um, when they start realizing that you don't talk to them as much as you used to you don't come around as much as you used to you you don't seem happy like you used to they start asking questions like my my family knows me the best, my best friend has known me for years and they definitely picked up on it before I was even ready to talk about it.
0: Did they, um, I guess confront you about it. Did they say anything to you about it?
1: Yeah, they, they definitely did. Um, my sister, she's always honest with me and she's very, um, upfront, but she's also very supportive at at the same time. So she would tell me what I need to hear. She would tell me the truth and still be there for me when I needed her to be. Same with my best friend. We we had a few um, conversations that didn't turn out nicely, um, but she was always there for me when um, I needed someone to talk to and when I needed help. So with those particular relationships, they, they didn't become strained, but there are situations where, you know, people that you think are going to be there for you in your biggest time of need aren't going, they, they just aren't there for you. Yep. And that actually ended up happening with, um, one of my other best friends. Cause I have two. <laughs> um, and, um, Oh, gosh, I remember one night um, things were bad between my ex and myself, and um, I ended up leaving my condo um, because you know I, I was scared for my life. I'm not gonna lie, I was scared for my life, and I didn't feel comfortable sleeping there that night. So my best friend, he was down here at the time, and he lived like uh, I don't know, maybe. 10 to 15 minutes away, not far at all. So I drove over to his apartment and um, I tried to get in touch with him. I called him, I text him, I rang him at the gate. I ended up uh, tailgating a car into his apartment complex and I knocked on his apartment door. I knew he was home because I saw his car, but maybe there was a possibility that he had gone out with another friend. So I didn't leave the complex. I I, I actually spent the night there and sleeping in my car. And to say that I slept in the car doesn't, I didn't really sleep. (laughs) So I had a night of restlessness, trying to get in touch with him uh, the majority of the time and trying to get some sleep because I did have work like in a few hours. When I finally got on the phone with him. It, it it was daylight and I was headed back home and I found out that he was actually in the apartment that whole time. Um, I guess he was with uh, a friend. <laughs> he was with someone. Um, so I, I don't know if he just didn't hear the knocks. I thought I knocked pretty, pretty loud. I don't know if he just didn't hear his phone because that's also a possibility. I don't know if he just didn't read his text messages, because that's also a possibility. But what sticks out the most was um, the fact that um, I asked him if I could turn around just so I can sleep like on his couch or on his floor or something, because I hadn't gotten any sleep. And um, he told me no. He told me that um, I needed to essentially confront my my situation with my abusive partner at the time and if i had needed any if he needed if i had needed him to come with me to the police station he would do that but as far as Uh like opening my door or his door to me letting me sleep um over and whatnot he said that that he was not gonna let that happen and um our, our relationship hasn't been the same since then um yeah. I
0: can yeah.
1: So that one was uh that was that was hard for me. That was definitely hard for me. Because we had known each other since middle school. So that was that was tough.
0: Yeah. And you said your relationship hasn't been the same. So does that mean you're still friends until up till now?
1: We are friends. Uh yeah, but we used to talk on the phone a lot about anything. Really, for hours even. Um, but that doesn't happen anymore.
0: Um,
1: I I guess I gosh, it sounds so bad to say this, but I don't have an active interest in his life anymore. And it's I feel like this is something something that I want to work on because I don't want to blame him for having the stance that he had because his his desire was for me to get out of that situation but I just can't stop wrapping my mind around the fact that you had a best friend that was in a dangerous situation you had a best friend that was in need of her best friend in a low moment and that didn't matter to you. Um, I guess the, the company of someone else was more important than someone that you had known for years and years and years. So yeah, that, that, that's um, something that I'm still trying to, to work through.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's definitely understandable. Um, You spoke to us, you know, earlier about why you finally decided to leave you know, your, your baby's dead. And uh-huh. um, I guess what I wanted to ask was, in, when you finally, you know, left after that happened, how did you leave?
1: <sighs> well, the night that I left uh, was an interesting night. My child's father, he, like I, I mentioned before, he has a drug abuse problem. He... I'm not going to say which drugs he used, but <laughs> he, um, he, he drinks a lot as well. So on this particular night, he decided to leave work early and go to the bar. Um, and he didn't mention anything to me, which is not a bad thing, if he didn't have a drug abuse problem. And... It wouldn't be a bad thing if he didn't just have a child. It wouldn't be a bad thing if he was trying to be a better person and move on from his abusive cycle. So I picked him up from the bar and he was drunk and he took my daughter out of the car seat while I was driving. He doesn't have a car or he didn't have a car because he had crashed it because he was drinking and driving and he totaled it. So, you know you would think that you would ease up on the, on the liquor a little bit, but no, that wasn't the case. So, um, my daughter, she was still young at the time, uh, and she was crying because she was hungry. She hadn't eaten in a while and it was time for her to be fed. So, um, I asked him if he could just feed her and he said he refused for whatever reason, he refused to feed her. Um, and he demanded that I pull over and feed her instead. So, you know, i there's just no point in really arguing because it's not about me. It's not about him. It was about her at that time. So I pulled over and, um, I got her bottle ready and I started feeding her and, you know, magically he decided, you know what? I want to go home now. You give me the baby and I'll feed her and you bring me home. So I, I I wasn't going to do that. I had already, you know, taken her out of the car seat, and I had already started feeding her. I didn't want to interrupt her feeding. It, did, it just didn't make any sense. We had already stopped. Yeah. Um, so he actually took her bottle from her mouth and um, he held onto her bottle and demanded that I drive him home because he was ready to go home, and I had to get back in the car and bring him home. And yeah, you know, I refused. I told him, I told him to give me back the bottle and I was going to finish, finish feeding our daughter. And then I would bring him home. And I don't know how long it lasted, but he didn't give back her bottle until his Uber came to pick him up, to bring him where wherever. I don't even know where he went. All I know is that he just left us and left her bottle. You know, that was important. She needed to eat. <laughs> so. Um, that night i didn't even go back to the apartment i just turned around and went back home and we had not we have not been living together since
0: and when that happened did he you know try to contact you try to find out where you are
1: not for oh gosh how long maybe two weeks i think okay. it was about two weeks yeah
0: and when he finally you know tried to contact you what was that conversation like
1: uh it was he he tried to make me feel guilty about not having our daughter around how he hasn't seen her for or he hadn't seen her for two weeks and how i took her away from him and he wanted to see his daughter he demanded to see his daughter um but you know it wasn't a terrible conversation it just you know wasn't the the most pleasant conversation but you know he was making demands of course
0: yep and I guess since you've been out of that relationship um what's that what's that timeline like how long ago was it since you know that relationship ended
1: uh, I left was it, it was after Christmas but before New year's of 2017 so it was somewhere in in like a was it the 27th of 2017 um but yeah that's when i left and um yeah we we haven't been together since
0: i guess my next question is what effects you know did going through that experience have on you after that relationship and you know in terms of your life and also i don't know if you've you know try to get into other relationships in other relationships Mm -hmm. in that time after you left.
1: yeah, So I I use this as an opportunity to get back in touch with myself because I had been stripped of the person that I knew for such a long time, for such a long time. I had been in that toxic situation for like about two years and that was long enough for me to, forget the person that I was. So that time was used to just be happy, like genuinely, genuinely happy. Like I smiled and laughed and Mm -hmm. woke up feeling good and woke up feeling light for the first time in such a long time. Being in an abusive relationship, it just adds so much weight and darkness to your life. Every day you wake up, you wake up with a cloud over your head. And sometimes the, sh- the sun will peek through when he's being good or she's being good, but it becomes overcast again so quickly, just as quickly as the sun came out, it, it, it goes right back into hiding. And that's how being in an abusive relationship feels like every single day. So Having clear skies was such a change and it was such a welcome change and I, I was just it felt warm it felt very very warm very very warm <laughs> mm-hmm. so it, it was nice it was nice to be out of that that toxic situation and into a healthy environment and it was it was nice to be happy again but I, I I would say that I think one of the hardest parts was uh, having to get my stuff back. <laughs> I left all my stuff it, at the apartment, so um, I had to like schedule a time that I knew he would be at work, not at home. Uh, I called a locksmith, and I had my sister come and help me. I think she was working at the time uh, to just meet me, so I could uh, get help loading my car and just. I loaded as much stuff as I could at one time into our cars and I left. I didn't want to see him. I didn't want him to, you know, just roll up on us and say, hey, what you doing? And just be caught in that. I didn't want that. So (sighs) I tried to make a a fast break just to avoid all that stuff, especially since I had been feeling so great. I didn't want him to, to, to dampen my mood. So, um, uh, and another thing that has been hard has been, um, seeing my daughter cry because she wants her mommy or seeing her cry because she wants her daddy. And there's like no way that she can have both there because we have a restraining order in place and, you know, he's not supposed to talk to me. I don't talk to him. He doesn't reach out. He's not supposed to reach out. So. she can never have both mommy and daddy together at the same time. And that, that, that hurts me for her. And as she gets older, she's going to start realizing more and more and start asking questions or making requests that I won't be able to grant her because of the injunction that's put in place. And, you know, these are things that I know will make her happy, but things I just can't follow through with. So that's, That's another thing that's been hard to deal with. And um, dating, (sighs) dating. Uh, Eventually, I started dating, uh, and it wasn't something that I looked for. It was something that just happens or just happened. And um, we're actually still together. (laughs) But um, at first, like, no one really wanted to date a girl with a kid like guys don't really look for that guys look for single accomplished women and yes i was single yes i was accomplished but i don't I, i had a kid and that they see that as baggage so i know that i was off the market for a little bit but you know i wasn't bothered by it and when um my now boyfriend came along things were a little a little rocky Because of the child, but um, I'm thankful that I found someone that accepts me and my daughter. And it's been, it's been great. But I will say that I do get triggered sometimes. And this is something that I actually want to talk to him more about in depth because I don't know if he realizes the depth, the gravity of how being in a relationship with someone abusive can have on someone and my boyfriend he's great he really is great he he's the guy that i never thought existed honestly mm-hmm. um but it's it, i there have been a few occasions where something so minor as it, as in like like a hair on the wall would just trigger me. like, um, whose hair is this? <laughs> um, like, who have you had over? Are you lying to me? Are you are you playing with my heart right now? Like, uh, are you eventually gonna turn into this person that my ex was? And it it sounds like irrational thinking. and but it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from a place. It's coming from trauma. And if you don't heal that trauma, then it's going to spill over into your relationships. And that is something that I had to work on. That's something that I had to work through is controlling those triggers, being able to identify those triggers first and foremost, and working through those triggers and maybe even embracing some of those triggers, like some things you just can't change. And those things that you can't change, you just have to be willing to just embrace them as being part of you and hope that you will find someone that also embraces that as being part of you as well. So um, I, I would say that it's, it's affected me in, um, in those ways. Uh, at first, I didn't want to trust people. It, it was very scary to even think about putting my trust in someone, giving my heart to someone. Uh, yeah. Just, no, I, I didn't even want to think about it because it would just spark up anxiety. My heart would start pounding. My, my yeah. palms would start sweating. Oh my gosh. It was such a crazy physiolog- physiological physiological uh, response that I would get. Um, but like i said with this relationship it wasn't planned or anything so it just happened organically and i think that's the the beauty of it is that it happened organically and um those reactions those physiological responses they they don't happen and if they do happen it's because of something that that is triggering like the hair on the wall <laughs> that can easily be explained because that hair on the wall actually turned out to be my own. So, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, that's, those are just a few of the things that, um, have affected me since coming out of that relationship.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess based on that, what advice would you give to, um, other survivors that who are looking at getting back into dating?
1: Mm. Well, definitely, I would suggest that they learn about themselves first. That's first and foremost, because if you don't have a good handle on who you are, and, you know, your likes, your dislikes, your triggers, then you leave the room open for someone else to, to learn who you are for you. And in doing so, you give that person the power to control your narrative. So definitely, learning yourself and having control over your your narrative, your story, and who you are is is crucial. Um, and another thing that I would suggest, or that I would say, is that when you're in an abusive relationship, you think that you're in love with someone that is hurting you, but what most people that are in that situation don't realize is that they're actually addicted. And this took for me to go to counseling to really understand. Like my, my therapist told me this. She used the analogy of addiction. And ever since then, everything has made so much sense. Yeah. It's just like, you know, a coke addict, you, you get hooked onto something that does something for you neurochemically, right? And when you think you've got a handle on it, and you think you can leave it alone, you turn right back around, like running, sprinting to it, like just craving it. And victims, they crave their abusers too. Um, they like they kid themselves and say that they miss them. Um, and coke addicts, they miss their drugs too. They miss their cocaine. They miss their coke. Um, and they're right back in that vicious cycle. And, you know, when you go back to your abuser, you just go back to that, that revolving door. And when you get back into that cycle, you feel stupid for being in it and you want to break the habit, but you can't do it alone. And drug addicts, they need help to break their cycles. It's the same for victims who are caught in the, that abusive cycle. Um, So my, my suggestion would be to seek that help because being in an abusive situation is the same as being addicted. Like it is an addiction. And, you know, uh, drug addicts, they go to 12 step treatment programs. Um, They go to uh, recovery support groups. We need the same. We can't do it by ourselves. So I would suggest that anyone that's in that um, situation, do just that. And to stop thinking that their abusive relationship is based on love and realize that it's actually based on an addiction and then start their recovery process with someone who has walked in their shoes. Because people that try to help that don't understand your journey will leave you feeling inadequate and judged. And that's the last thing that any recovering addict needs. So don't tell everyone your business, confide in someone that understands. So that would be a few of my suggestions to anyone that is in a similar situation, just starting off because there are so many other things I can say, but starting off, that's, that's what I would, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. And um, you did mention before, you know, the situation with um, your daughter and also, you know, her father and having a restraining order. And that's something I, was, I think I was going to ask about. Yeah. Because again, having a child with an abusive partner, That's, you know, that brings in a lot more complications. So in terms of your daughter having a relationship with her um, father, how do you make that work?
1: Well, um, we have timeshare established uh, through the courts. So um, he is obligated to spend time with her. So, um, but before we went through the courts, I tried to do it. Outside of the courts, and that didn't work out too well. Um, he took advantage of that 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 privilege that I gave him to see her. And yes, it is a privilege because if you're putting your hands on the child or, or you're on the mother of your child in front of your child, you you don't really get a say in anything because at that point you're just telling everyone you're telling the world that you just don't really care about anyone but yourself so it it didn't really work out because he took advantage and um you know tried to see her more often than he he was allowed to and started showing up uninvited popping up when he wasn't welcome at all hours there was no control over that so I was pretty much forced to go through the court so that we could have some sort of regulation to him being able to see her um and I tried to get supervised visitations because he you know he was abusive he drugs i mean he abuses drugs he was abusive to me and um he he ended up getting what he wanted <laughs> which was um uh, like, like every Wednesday and every other weekend so he has her um he and so far he's I'm assuming that he does well with her. I just don't know because you know the, the judge didn't grant in my favor for supervised visitations um yeah. but you know that's that's out of my hands and I can only hope and pray that she's safe when she's with him and that nothing bad happens to her. And that she doesn't witness something unhealthy like drug use or him being violent with someone else, his other girlfriends. Um, So I can only do the best that I can to show her what healthy looks like. So that if there is a situation where he engages in toxic behavior or unhealthy behavior around her that she'll be able to determine on her own what's right and what's wrong.
0: Um, and I guess my final question is, so usually what happens, you know, when you, you speak to people who have never been in situations like this and they, you know, they don't understand, um, Abuse they don't understand the abuse cycle they don't understand anything to do with that. One question that usually comes up is you know why didn't she just leave? Are you able yeah. to um explain that you know to i guess to someone who does not understand the whole process why it's sometimes difficult for people to just leave
1: yeah that's that's something a lot of people ask because they think that it's easy. To just leave, but you don't understand someone's path until you've walked their shoes. So, someone who's never been in an abusive relationship will never understand why victims go back. And um, the number one response that I'm sure most people will hear is, you know, because I love them. And the I'm gonna say that that was true for me. Before I realized that it wasn't love, and that it was more so addiction, and a uh, and a fear of failure as well, because I don't like to fail. You know, I've invested all my time into someone that I deemed worthy, someone that I gave my time to, invested my, my feelings and emotions and gave my heart to. I, I saw potential for this person. I saw potential for this relationship. Say, saying that it's not going to work out or just leaving it it, it, it forces you to call that a loss, yeah. And if you call something a loss, that just means that you weren't right in the first place. So all that potential that I saw in the beginning, it, there wasn't really any potential and I was wrong. And one of my biggest issues is admitting like, hey, you know, you were wrong here. <laughs> like there's no there's no workaround uh, uh, for this one. You you were just wrong. Um, so you, you end up loving someone that isn't deserving of your love. You end up investing your time into someone that is undeserving of your love. And after trial and error, trial and error, going back and trying something different, like, okay, well, maybe this time this will work because last time this didn't work. Um, After numerous trials and error, you just kind of you 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 just you get to a point where you realize, okay, well, this isn't working, but once you get to that point and get to that realization, it's kind of already too late you know you're you're you you've been in that abusive cycle, you've been in that revolving door for x amount of time, and you you haven't even realized it, so you're already caught in that cycle of abuse and now you just don't know how to get out because it's it's become a pattern for you it's become normal to you and that's what's dangerous about being in an abusive situation is because that abuse becomes normal the the unhealthy communication becomes normal and it becomes so normal that some victims actually start feeding off and taking bits and pieces from their abuser to kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for to to um to kind of get back at them in the way that their abuser speaks like they they try to speak their language yeah. and abusers speak abuse right so you'll find that some victims start um start becoming, taking, uh, taking on characteristics of abusive, of their abusive partner. And they start engaging in manipulation tactics as well. And that's not okay because the abuse start becoming, start becoming the abuser. (sighs) But, um, to answer your question, um, it's, it's, it's just, it's a cycle and it's a vicious cycle and it's an addiction and most people can't leave their situation because it's hard to break their addiction from their abusive partner. So, um, that's, that's really what I can try to, uh, liken it to in a way that someone might understand who hasn't actually been in those shoes themselves.
0: Yeah, no, that was, that was an excellent description of it because yeah, that's um, something that people, you know, tend to always come up with and it's always why didn't you just leave and then understand like, it's a lot more, you know, it's deeper than that. It's a lot more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, a lot more complicated, especially if you have kids, it just deepens it that much more. Exactly.
0: Um, To wrap up, I saw that, you know, you work as a behavior specialist and, you know, you're also a life coach. Can you do a talk to us about that?
1: Yes, um I started my life coaching business after I left um because I wanted to give a platform for victims of domestic abuse to seek some sort of guidance, some help, some some advice to to have someone to talk to because finding someone to talk to that understands what you're going through that can give you some real actionable advice, it, it's, it's hard to find. Like I've, I've tried to speak to a therapist before and it just didn't turn out great. So it, it, and I've tried calling the domestic, uh, the national domestic hotline, domestic abuse hotline mm-hmm. and twice, and it didn't work out for me. So I, I wanted to have this in place to help people who have been where I was and just to give them that helping hand to tell them what they need to hear, to help them wrap their minds around what's going on, to identify what's going on and be able to label what's going on and give them ways, um, to, to get out of their situation that's doable and, um, I, I found some really great success with it. And it's something that brings joy to my heart. It It's, yeah. it's a passion, you know, it's, it's a passion. And when you have a victim sitting in front of you, sharing your story or sharing their story and them feeling as if, you know, they're stupid or uh, they're so silly for letting this happen. And oh my gosh, you know, I feel so, so... X, Y, and Z for saying this to you right now. I just look at them and say, look, I've done the same thing. <laughs> and it helps for them to feel as if, okay, well, there's someone that can relate to my experience. So now I don't feel so stupid. This person has gone through what I've gone through and look at where they are now. They're not in the same situation. They, they got out of it. You know, and that just gives me hope that I can get out of my situation too. Um, and I also wanted to create a platform for perpetrators of domestic violence because there are plenty of re- resources out there available for victims of domestic violence. You don't see many programs for perpetrators of domestic violence. And it's not, that's not a good thing because you're not holding the perpetrator accountable for their actions. You're not giving them the tools that they need to communicate. Uh, in a functional way, in a healthier way. You're not modeling what healthy communication looks looks like. You're not giving them uh, that mirror to look into so that they can see what they've been doing, what they've been saying and who they've been hurting. They They don't get that. So what happens? They end up perpetrating again and again and again. And it just... <clears throat> It becomes something that is just reinforced. It keeps on happening. It, it continues happening. So I, I extend my services to perpetrators of domestic violence as well for that very reason, because if you don't target the root of the problem, the problem's going to always exist. You can't continue to put a bandaid over the issue because at some point the bandaid falls off, you know? So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm hoping to appeal to more perpetrators, more men and women who find themselves abusing their partners. Um, And I'm hoping to appeal to them in a way that makes them think like, okay, well, maybe what I'm doing is not right. Maybe there are ways to to do things a little better here, I, I, I hear my partner telling me that they're not happy. I hear my partner telling me that they're sad. I see my partner hurt. So how can I fix this? That 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 little step is like all they need to just start their process and become more accountable people, and a, uh, and eventually um, more. I guess, realized people like what they'll be able to realize what they do and how it affects the people around them and be open to making that change. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I have my background in applied behavior analysis. That's where the behavior specialist comes from. Um, I have been working in that field now since since my daughter is born, she just helped me change my whole life, by the way. Um, and so ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, is just basically an analysis of behavior. Everything we do is behavior. So it, it it's not any different in the domestic violence population. So um, I apply what I learned in ABA to my coaching business to help them um, to help them get some real behavior change in a, in a very significant and meaningful way.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is amazing. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Thank you. (laughs) It's been awesome chatting with you. Once again, thank you for for coming on here and sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was quite the experience and it was definitely a pleasure.
0: That is all for today, guys. Once again, I would like to thank Anasha for sharing his story with us. I hope this has been truly helpful to anyone in a similar situation. Please know that you are never alone. To listen to more episodes, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other platform where you get your podcasts from. You can also find us on Instagram at ConnectedByStories. Please share this with anyone you know who would benefit from it. If you have a story you would like to share, please feel free to reach out to me through Instagram or anonymously through Curious CuriousKet. The link will be in the description. See you on the next episode of Connected by Stories.